for the text this morning. We'll read reread a portion of our scripture reading. We'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read the first three verses and a portion of the fourth verse. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. I will stop there. As I was studying this chapter the last few days, I realized there is far too much in this chapter to cover in one message. So for the sake of time, we will limit it to the four verses. Maybe at a different time, we continue to look into it. But many consider this chapter to be called the love chapter. Uh, Some people study this chapter as a standalone chapter, but really this 13th chapter here was a part of a letter that Paul had written to the church in Corinth, and he was writing to a church that desperately needed unity. They were divided, and there was internal fighting and strife among them, and they were arguing about all kinds of things, but of all things, the, the one thing that seemed to cause the most controversy was regarding spiritual gifts. They had argued over or were arguing over which gifts were the most important, which ones were the most useful. They were arguing over who was the most spiritual among the group there. And sadly, rather than using these wonderful spiritual gifts that the Lord had given them, to unify and build up and edify the body of Christ, they were using them as a source of division and strife. Rather than drawing people into the church and pointing them to the cross, they were actually driving people away. And so it's with this backdrop in mind that Paul began this 13th chapter here of Corinthians. In chapter 12, Paul was dealing with all these issues in the very last verse of chapter 12, Paul said that he was going to show them a more excellent way. And of course, the way he was speaking of was the way of love. You know, the problem wasn't that they lacked gifts or talent or ability. The greatest problem was that they lacked the most important ingredient of all, and that is the gift of love works without love. Anything we do without the love of Christ is profitless. And Paul was emphasizing that fact here. You know, Paul, when he mentions the word charity, it's the same as love. That is the closest translation that we have in the English language to the word love as it's used here. But even the word charity really is is too narrow in its scope when you consider the type of love that Paul was speaking about here. Love is the essence of the Christian life, and Paul here was writing about a very special type of love. It's not 
like any type of love you find in the world, it far exceeded anything like that. This love he is referring to was a divine love that comes from the heart of God. It was a love that reaches out to those who don't deserve it. It was a love that puts the interests of others first. And it was a love that is willing to forgive and to start over. And this kind of love is really the love that describes the very character and nature of God and of Christ. And Paul was also letting them know that as Christians, as the church of Christ and as the body of Christ, as those that profess to have a relationship with Jesus, we are supposed to display the same characteristics that Christ showed. Second Peter, what we know as we're saved, it says we become new creatures in Christ Jesus and we're born again. And Second Peter lets us know that after we're saved, it says that we are partakers of Christ's divine nature. So the same love that Christ exemplified to his disciples is the same type of love that we as Christians need to possess. Without this love, all other gifts are useless. And Paul uses the first three verses of this chapter here to emphasize the importance of love or the place of love, or my margin says the preeminence of love. Love is above all things. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. One of the problems in the church in Corinth is that they seem to be hyper-focused on this gift of what they perceived as a gift of tongues. And they were placing more and more emphasis on this gift. Apparently in Corinth, there were those that believed if you could manifest this gift at any time and the more you could do it, the more spiritual you were. This was a kind of like a badge of honor that they were going around trying to prove to one another who was the most spiritual. The problem is everyone started to covet this very same gift. Well, that just caused more strife and confusion and division. And we know tongues absolutely do have a place in Scripture. There is a purpose and a reason for tongues. We know when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the outward evidences or signs is that they will speak in another language as the Spirit gives them utterance. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is something that's prayed down. It's not worked up. The Holy Spirit won't dwell in an unclean vessel. We know that. And whatever the Holy Spirit does will be done in a way that will glorify and honor God, will never draw attention to an individual. Well, they got a hold of something here in Corinth, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was some kind of a fleshly manifestation, and they were using this as what they considered a spiritual gift. So... Paul was telling them here, even though you speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if you don't have the love of Christ in your heart, it's nothing more than useless noise. Someone once said the greatest sign of love isn't that you can speak like angels or you can speak in many tongues. The greatest sign of love is that you can control the one tongue you have. James 3.2 tells us, it says, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Well, Paul goes on. He says, Love is more necessary than prophesying or knowledge or faith. What is 
excuse me, what is prophecy? Well, as it's used in this context here, that is the ability to preach the Word of God. It's the ability to encourage and exhort and edify by using the Word of God. It's the ability to use the Word of God to compel people to action. Well, that's an important gift. But Paul was saying you could be the greatest preacher in the entire world. You could be the greatest expositor of God's truths. And if you don't have love in your heart, it's nothing. It's pointless. He goes on to say, if you were able to understand all mysteries and possess all knowledge without love, that would be useless. Imagine being able to understand the entire book of Revelation, being able to explain it in a way where everybody else could understand, being able to understand all the allegories and the imagery and the symbolism in that book. Even if you were able to do that, if you didn't have love, it would be profitless. Someone wisely said, others will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. Knowledge, wisdom without love is profitless. He goes on to say that love excels faith. Well, how important is faith? Well, the Bible says without it, we can't please God. Without it, we can't be saved. It says, by grace are you saved through faith. You know, it's faith that moves the hand of God. It's faith that unlocks the promises of God. It says faith without works is dead. And yet he was saying here, faith without love is also dead. You know, it's been said as well that a faith that can remove mountains without a love that can remove malice is worthless. Paul goes on finally in this third Verse here, he lets us know that the gift of love excels the gift of giving. You know, generosity and hospitality, these are wonderful gifts. And they certainly have a use and a part in the body of Christ. But without love, it's nothing. It doesn't amount to anything. It doesn't matter how much you give or how sacrificial you are when you give. If you do it for any other reason and out of any other motive than a heart full of love for Christ, it's pointless, it's profitless. You know, it's possible to give without loving, but it's impossible to love without giving. You know, some people give out of guilt. I think about Brother Dwayne Wilson's testimony. Often he said, uh, because of the choices he made as a young man, he uh, got involved in all kinds of things and he found himself bound by sin and just miserable and convicted. And at times he thought he was going to lose his mind, but he decided, well, maybe if I give to the church, somehow that will alleviate my guilt. So he began to do that. It didn't work. So he thought, well, maybe if I give to others or do something nice, maybe that will help me deal with this guilt. So he made 50 bologna sandwiches and took them downtown to hand out to the homeless people. He wasn't giving out a concern for the homeless. He was giving out a concern for his own guilt. He was trying to assuage his guilt by giving. Didn't amount to anything. Of course, thankfully later he came to a service and he heard the gospel preached and the minister asked the question, whom are you serving? And at that point he realized he was serving the wrong master that night. He gave his life to the Lord, 
committed his life to the Lord and everything changed. He experienced that love of Christ, but giving without love is nothing. So Paul here was establishing the importance of love. And then in verse 4, Paul begins to describe the characteristics of love or what love looks like. He said, and we'll look at these two, charity suffereth long and is kind. What does it mean to be long-suffering? Well, another way to say that is to be patient. Charity is patient. Charity is long-tempered. To be long-suffering means to be long-tempered. It means to patiently endure. Someone had this placed on their tombstone. It said, raised four beautiful daughters in a home with one bathroom, and still there was love. That's long-suffering. It's patient. It's kind. It's not quick to anger, and it's slow to anger and quick to forgive. You know, when it comes to long-suffering, how often should we forgive? Well, Peter had his own ideas. He told the Lord, asked the Lord, Lord, how many times should I give my brother in a day if he offends me? Seven times? Well, of course, in Peter's mind, he was being very long-suffering and charitable. But the Lord said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. He wasn't saying after 490 times you stop forgiving. The point was forgiveness is continuous. Forgiveness is something we must be willing to extend as being a part of that long-suffering characteristic of Christ, we continue to forgive time and time again. One thing we need to understand is forgiveness doesn't automatically mean that trust is going to be restored. You can forgive somebody without necessarily trusting them, especially if that person is a repeat offender. If you knew somebody who had a habit of stomping on your feet every time you were around him, you might avoid that person, even set some boundaries. But forgiveness releases any feelings of animosity or anger or bitterness toward that individual. We release that person from the debtor's prison that we hold them in. That's what forgiveness is. And of course, that also always means that we allow room for that person to make steps towards restoring that trust. But that's what forgiveness does. It continues to forgive. We also must remember that it was because of God's long-suffering toward us that we are forgiven. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. The greatest reason to be long-suffering with others is because Christ is long-suffering with us. It says love is kind. Also, in other scriptures, kindness is described as gentleness or goodness, but love is patient, love is kind. You know, being nice and being kind are not the same thing. Sinners can be nice, Sometimes people can be nice with an ulterior motive or they can act nice because they expect something in return. And we should be nice, don't get me wrong, that is important. 
You can be nice without being kind, but you really can't be kind without being nice. But kindness goes farther than just being nice. Being kind is acting in a way that is selfless. When a person is being kind or extending kindness, the only thing on that person's mind will be the well-being of that other person. They're not doing it for any self-interest of their own. Kindness is far greater than just being nice. Someone said niceness is how we try to climb the social ladder. Kindness is how we lift up others. Being nice is certainly easier than being kind. Takes a lot less effort, a lot less of an investment. There's a lot less risk involved. Sometimes being nice to somebody may be not saying something when they know they should. Well, being kind is saying something because you know you should. The Bible tells us we're to speak the truth in love. The kindest thing we can do for somebody is to tell them the truth, and we do it in love out of concern for their soul. You know, many don't realize, but I'm very colorblind. I had my eyes tested several years ago, and there was a way the eye doctor was able to give me a color test. And after he gave me the test, he came back with the bad news. He says, not only are you colorblind, you have two different kinds of colorblindness. You are red, green, yellow, blue colorblind. Somebody has asked me, how do you know if you match? I don't know that I match. But that's where the kindness of my wife comes in. You know, I have to wear a suit every day to work. You know, I could go into the closet and throw on some combination that clashed and looked terrible. I wouldn't know. I could be heading to the door looking like Bozo the Clown, and I wouldn't even be aware of it. My wife could see me, and she could think, well, he looks terrible, but I'm going to be nice and not say anything. Well, that wouldn't be very nice. Or out of kindness, she can say, hold on just a second. Let me help you a little bit. Let's find something else. That's kindness, being willing to say things for the sake of somebody else. When should we show kindness? Well, it tells us in Galatians 6.10, it says, As we have opportunity, do good to all men, but especially unto those that are the household of faith. Every time we have an opportunity to show kindness, we must do that. You know, the enemy of kindness is often busyness. Sometimes we can get so busy and caught up in the things we have to do, we don't look for those opportunities. But if you look for opportunities, they will be there, certainly. And it says, especially unto those that are of the household of faith. If we as Christians and saints of God, if we cannot be genuinely kind and loving toward one another, there is something seriously wrong. If our kindness doesn't work within the body of Christ, it's not going to work out in the world. So we want to be kind, but especially to those that are of the household of faith. You know, kindness works amazing in times of conflict. If you want to de-escalate a situation, nothing works better than kindness. It says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. You know, the best way to get rid of your enemies is to use a little kindness on them. Somebody once said, 
Kindness can make that enemy your friend, and then he's no longer your enemy. If it's really bad, I guess you can kill him with kindness. But kindness is a good thing. Kindness will go a great distance in restoring or settling conflicts. It says that a soft answer turneth away wrath. These are just attributes that every Christian should possess. Kindness in the home is vital. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. It says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And we always, again, want to keep in mind that it's the Lord's kindness toward us that leads us to salvation. Titus 3, verse 3, it describes... It describes the person before they were saved, the condition they're in. It describes them as foolish, disobedient, deceived, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. That's a condition of a person often before they're saved. But verse 4 says, But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us. The greatest reason to show kindness to others is because of the kindness that Christ has shown to us. Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, it's no accident that patience or long-suffering and kindness are the first two characteristics of love that are mentioned. You know, love must start somewhere. Love starts with patience and kindness. We are saved because of God's patience and kindness toward us. Again, Romans 2.4 says it is the the long-suffering and the goodness and the kindness of the Lord and the forbearance of the Lord that leads us to repentance. You know, we needed his patience and his kindness when we were seeking to be saved. Well, we need his patience and his kindness to keep us. We depended on those things to save us, but we need to also depend upon that same kindness and that same patience to keep us. Love can't exist without patience and kindness, and God in his love has certainly shown us both. But in closing, Jesus gave us a commandment. He said that we were to love one another. He says, as I have loved you, so also love one another. In other words, in the same manner and in the same way, with the same patience and kindness that I've loved you, that's how we're to love one another. He says, by this shall all men know ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Love is the greatest gift of all. Love is the greatest commandment of all. The scribes and Pharisees asked Jesus, which are the greatest commandments? He says, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commandments alone hang all the other law and the prophets. If you get that down, everything else will fall into line. Patience and kindness exhibited to us through God's love, that's where it begins. Not only is it the greatest gift of all, 
It is the more excellent way. It's the only way to live. Without God's love, we are nothing. Without God's love, we are lost. But you know, the Bible also tells us that God's love conquers all. Romans, it says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. God's love can resolve personal issues and restore unity, whether that's in the church, on the job, in the home, wherever it may be. God's love can do that. First Peter 4, verses 8 and 10, it says, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins, a multitude of offenses, a multitude of wrongs, a multitude of mistakes. Charity covers it all. And it says, And as every man hath now received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good servants of the manifold grace of God. Aren't you thankful for God's love? God's grace and God's mercy. You know, the good news is the greatest gift of all is available to all even today. That's one gift that the Lord is more than willing to lavish on anyone who would want to receive it. If you're here this morning and you're unsaved, you can experience the love of God in your heart and in your life if you're willing to humble yourself. Just call on the name of the Lord. It says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved and the Lord will give you that kind of love. The Lord wants to show you that more excellent way. If you're seeking to be sanctified, seek the Lord with all your heart. God is a God of love. He says, no good gift will he withhold from those that love him. Thank God for his love. We're going to have a chance to come and seek the Lord today. The song is 552. Let's come and pray. These altars are open.